Today we compare the Cloudsburst from The Hobbit to its on-screen portrayal in Peter Jackson's The Hobbit, The Battle of Five Armies. I'll be critical, yet fair, on the changes that were introduced and examine the reasons behind those decisions. And we'll dive deep on the redemption story of a key character in both book and film. This is episode 119 of Lore of the Rings, and I'm Aaron, your host and fellow wanderer. As always, if you're enjoying the show, I kindly invite you to take a moment to leave a rating and review. If you're finding our wandering of Middle-earth enchanting, consider sharing the podcast with a friend who shares your passion. Also, if you haven't already, be sure to hit that subscribe or follow button while you're here. By doing so, you'll ensure that you never miss out on any future episodes that await on the horizon. Your support keeps the lore of Middle-earth alive. Now... Let's wander. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. We finally begin the titular Battle of Five Armies around the one hour and 16 minute mark in the extended edition of the film. At this point, viewers are met with a dramatic confrontation that marks the culmination of tensions between various factions, the elves, the men of Lake Town, and the dwarves under Thorin's leadership. While the film does retain some of the core elements of the scene, let's explore several notable differences from the book. While the book is not clear how many elves were involved in the battle, the film adaptation certainly doesn't underestimate the number of elves present. This contributes to a more visually spectacular showdown. This could have been a conscious choice to heighten the epic feel of the battle and cater to the cinematic experience. The stark differences between the dwarves and elves are made quite clear. Thorin fires one warning shot and the dwarves gloat, yet their boasting is cut short when Thranduil, with only a slight nod of the head, gives the order and hundreds of elves, in perfect unison, put arrows to their bows. As in the book, Bard reveals the Arkenstone, yet unlike the book, Thorin stares speechless while Keeley labels them as thieves, asking how they came by the heirloom of his house. When Thorin expresses his doubt, Bilbo owns up to giving them the Arkenstone. Little did he know that by doing so, his life would be in danger, as Thorin orders him to be thrown from the wall. Perhaps inspired by Bilbo's courage to admit his burglary, The other dwarves do not move to obey Thorin's orders. Thorin's reaction at the wall matches his reaction in the book, where Gandalf sums it succinctly in both book and film by saying, You are not making a splendid figure as king under the mountain. By showcasing Thorin's fall from a good leader to self-centered evil, the filmmakers provide a nuanced portrayal of his transformation, setting up the audience for a potential redemption arc in Thorin's journey. With Bilbo scrambling down the wall to join Gandalf, the negotiations at the wall begin to conclude. Thranduil encourages Bard to sell the Arkenstone to Ecthelion of Gondor. That name may not seem familiar to you. Ecthelion is the father of Denethor, who in turn is father to Bordemir and Faramir. I'm sure those names sound familiar to you. However, according to Tolkien's timelines, the ruling steward in Gondor at this time was actually Turgon, the father of Ecthelion and great-grandfather of Boromir. That's really trivial lore, though, and only keen-eared fans would pick up on Ecthelion's name, but hardly anyone would know of Turgon. 
Anyway, back to Thorn. He seems to stall for time until the landing of a black raven, symbolizing the arrival of his cousin, Dane Ironfoot, and a formidable army of dwarves. As the elves reform their ranks in response to the dwarves' formations, Gandalf informs Bilbo about Dane, Thorin's cousin. Gandalf emphasizes that while Thorin is considered stubborn, Dane takes it to another level, being less reasonable than Thorin. Now, in the book, the dwarves spring to attack without warning, and, quote, battle was about to be joined. I believe, in Tolkien's mind, that here there was no actual fighting between dwarves and elves. Don't get me wrong, Tolkien did write many battles between these two generally good species. But it appears to me, in the case of this children's tale, The Hobbit, that he did not intend for dwarves and elves to fight hand to hand. Not so in the films, where several minutes of dwarf versus elf fighting are displayed. Now, by visually representing the fighting, it gives the filmmakers quite a bit of creative leeway in showing how these two species wage war above ground. The filmmakers showcase dwarvish ingenuity by introducing unique elements like the dwarvish cavalry mounted on mountain goats with giant horns. This inventive touch not only adds a layer of creativity, but also reinforces the dwarves' resourcefulness. Dane's old twirly-whirlies act as both defense against arrows and as artillery against the elves, highlighting the dwarves' prowess in engineering. This adaptation creatively addresses the lack of detail in the book and adds an exciting dimension to the battle. The elvish formations, executed with precision akin to a dance, are a visual spectacle that perfectly suits the cinematic medium. This adaptation provides an artistic interpretation of the elf-dwarf conflict as their unique battle styles clash. The arrival of the Wereworms, an obscure creature from Tolkien's lore, which we touched on a few episodes ago, is another instance where the film takes liberties to expand upon a concept that's only briefly mentioned in the book. These colossal creatures, burrowing beneath the earth, serve as a fantastical element, further enriching the battle's scale. As the battle rages on, the dwarves' change in formation to face the orc threat brings a moment of tension. However, Thorin's refusal to help emphasizes his single-minded focus on reclaiming the mountain. An unexpected turn of events occurs when the elves also stand down, but then later engage with the dwarves. This dynamic shift adds complexity to the scene, transforming previous rivals into tenuous allies, and delivers an emotional tension and resolution for the audience. Even my four-year-old, who saw this scene while I was preparing this episode, feels that emotional tension. In her words, quote, That's pretty cool. The Golden Ones helped them. Fight, fight, fight. Even Bilbo joins in the fight, standing alongside Gandalf with his sword drawn, in stark contrast to the book where he put on the ring early in the battle and essentially hardly participated at all. Yet amidst the battle's grandeur, we must address certain elements that warrant critique. The inclusion of the character Alfred, known for his cowardice and mistreatment of others, stands out as a puzzling addition. This character's presence seems to serve little purpose other than to attempt to add comic relief, yet his actions often feel out of place in the gravity of the situation. Additionally, the portrayal of untrained citizens defeating battle-hardened orcs, which 
by the way, is a common cliché among Lord of the Rings on-screen adaptations, can be seen as overly optimistic. The luck that Bard's son experiences during the battle raises questions about the believability of these moments in a gritty conflict. Finally, the heroic shots of Thranduil, Bard, and Dane dispatching orcs without a scratch, while possibly seen as moments of cinematic bravado, detract from the reality of war's dangers. Before my last critique of this adaptation, let me quickly remind you to subscribe or follow the show wherever you listen to podcasts, and share this episode with a friend as well. We'll be back in a moment. We're not done yet. If you like this episode, please leave a review and share with your friends. And remember to subscribe if you haven't already. We'll be right back. You can be the hero of your own Marvel Comics adventure. Marvel Strike Force is an extraordinary mobile game, a haven for comic book enthusiasts and gamers alike. Lead your own fellowship of heroes and villains to battle against the forces of darkness that threaten the very fabric of the universe. From the menacing Doctor Doom to the formidable Apocalypse, every battle is a chance to prove your mettle. And right now, Marvel Strike Force is commemorating its six-year anniversary. That means free rewards await those who heed the call and sign up today. With weekly events and bonuses, this anniversary celebration promises a treasure trove of special rewards. Rally your allies, sharpen your blades, and dive into the action of Marvel Strike Force today. Use code MAXPOOL to unlock free new treasures. That's code MAXPOOL, all one word, on the mobile game Marvel Strike Force. Now, back to wandering. Welcome back, fellow Middle-Earth wanderers. Let's run out our exploration of the film's adaptation of The Clouds Burst by acknowledging a crucial theme that sets the films apart from the original text. The transformative character arc of, and subsequent overwhelming focus on, Thorin Oakenshield. One of the most distinctive differences between the book and the film adaptation is the elevation of Thorin's character to the forefront. In Tolkien's original work, Bilbo remains the central figure. But in the films, Thorin's journey takes center stage, especially in the final moments of this sequence. We witness a broken Thorin, consumed by the dragon's sickness and ensnared by his obsession with the treasure, hiding in the halls of Erebor. While others fight for his cause, he declares the treasure's value to outweigh the cost of lives. It's a stark portrayal of his internal struggle. Dwalin's brave attempt to reach him with the truth that he's become lesser despite the crown on his head, encapsulates the essence of Thorin's torment. His response, reflecting his shattered psyche, reveals his self-inflicted shame from his former identity. But then comes a turning point, a moment of redemption. As Thorin revisits the words of those who care for him, his introspection culminates in a psychedelic vision, shall we say, revealing his fear of succumbing to the dragon's sickness that once consumed his grandfather. Stripped of his kingly regalia, a humbled Thorin emerges from the depths of the mountain, ready to lead once more. His question, quote, Will you follow me one last time? is met with a poignant response as his fellow dwarves raise their weapons in unity. I'll admit, it brings a tear to my eye. The battlefield holds its breath as the orcish horde prepares for the final assault. 
Yet a new horn pierces the air. Bomber, the steadfast fat dwarf, sounding the rallying cry from atop the wall. Thorin's companions rally around him, united by their loyalty and determination. With each step, the kingly vestiges he once coveted are replaced by a determination to protect his people and rectify his mistakes. The dwarves rally around their king, whether he has the Arkenstone or not. The ensuing battle is characterized by the unconventional yet effective tactics of Thorin's company, a testament to their camaraderie and the unique bond they share, as well as providing some slapstick comedic relief. Rather ludicrous, but par the course for this film trilogy. Their efforts are complemented by the rallying of all forces of good, from the dwarves to the people of Dale. Yet amidst this triumphant spectacle, there is an inexplicable inclusion. Once again, the character of Alfred, embodying cowardice and lame comic relief. As the battle crescendos, Thorin and his comrades charge towards Azog, standing tall on Raven Hill. This culmination of Thorin's transformation from a king blinded by greed to a leader who unites his people is the embodiment of his redemption. And with that pivotal moment, about 1 hour and 42 minutes into the film, we conclude our exploration of The Clouds Burst. The adaptation, while deviating from the original text, brings Thorin's journey to the forefront, allowing us to witness his fall and ultimate redemption. Until next time, may the stories of Middle-earth continue to enchant and inspire you. Join me in the next episode, where we will dive into the nearly last chapter of J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit. Thanks for wandering Middle-earth with me today. My friends, if you enjoyed this episode, let me know by subscribing, leaving a review, and sharing with your friends. Follow me on Facebook or Instagram at Lore of the Rings Podcast. For feedback on the show, please email me using the link in the show notes. Until next Thursday, remember, not all those who wander are lost.